Such beautiful, special music. Thank you so much. I have been puzzled for a long time where all that talent comes from. And uh, nice to see Virginia up here. So we see the source is Virginia, not Lorenzo. <laughs> very, very beautiful. And in fact, the whole service is so beautiful. It's such a joy to see everything come together so well. And uh, I'm, I'm quite grateful for this opportunity to speak to you. Uh, this evening for the Bible study, I want to cover an extremely difficult topic. And I thought to myself, I can't cover this topic properly without covering all of Matthew 18 and all of Romans 11 and also what was covered in the sermonette today. When all, all of that is understood, it'll be much easier to get through the difficult topic that I have in mind for this afternoon. If you did miss Matthew 18 yesterday, that brothers may live, it is on the Burlington Archive at cgiburlington.sermon.net, cgiburlington.sermon.net. Today's sermonette will be up there as well this afternoon. So it's important to understand Matthew 18, the sermonette from today, and today's sermon in order to grasp clearly what I want to cover this evening. So today for the sermon, I want to answer the question, why are we grafted in? If you'll turn with me, uh, it w- the answer is in Romans 11, but we'll pick it up in Romans 10. Let's begin in Romans 10, verse 20. So this is more of a Bible study. Uh, we began yesterday's Bible study, part one. This is part two, and this evening will be part three. And God willing, it will all come together very clearly. Romans 10 and verse 20, Paul writes, But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he says, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So Paul begins this Discourse setting up this tension to say that Israel is disobedient and stubborn, and yet the Gentiles found God and they weren't even looking for him. Incredible context for what we're going to cover. And certainly, we cannot blame Christians for thinking, yeah, God has rejected Israel. And now he's dealing with Gentiles. And by Gentiles, I mean anybody who is not Jewish. All the ten tribes that were lost are considered Gentiles. Because only the Jews held on to the covenant. God rejected or, or, or divorced the northern tribes. But he remained married to Judah. And so anybody outside of Judah is Gentile. And so the certainly the uh, church fathers came along and said, yep, God has rejected Israel, he's rejected the Jews, they are disobedient, and the Gentiles have found him. Now let's go to Romans 11, where Paul releases or relieves this tension. We've got a disobedient Israel and Gentiles who have found God. In verse 1 he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Has God thrown his people away? God forbid. God forbid. 
perish such a thought. This is, you know, God forbid, it's, it's the strongest denunciation of such a thought. It's like only the devil would say that. We, we would never believe that. Why? Because that would make God a liar. That would make God a covenant breaker. That would make God a promise breaker. God forbid that God would be any of these things. He goes on to say, For I also am an Israelite. I'm before you as an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. When Israel was made a nation, their first king was from the tribe of Benjamin. I come from this lofty tribe. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. And how did he foreknow them? When Esau and Jacob were in the womb, he chose Jacob. Before any work was done, he foreknew Israel. What you not, or don't you know, what the scripture says of Elijah? How he makes intercession to God, and when we think we use the term intercession, it's usually for somebody. We have intercessory prayer for somebody. Well, Elijah is making intercessory prayer against Israel. Elijah is making intercessory prayer to condemn Israel. And so Paul brings this up. Don't you know what the scripture says about Elijah? How he intercedes to God against Israel. And what does he say? Lord, they have killed your prophets and dug down your altars. And I'm left alone. And they're even seeking my life. God, destroy them. God, condemn these evil people. And it's unfortunate that sometimes the people who betray us and the prophecy shares it tells us they're from among us. And so Elijah is, be, be, is he's grieved. And he's, he, he, Elijah asks God to condemn these evil people. But then Paul says, but what says the answer of God to Elijah? How did God answer Elijah's plea to condemn Israel? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men. Elijah says, I'm, I'm alone. Israel is so evil, I'm the only one. I've reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Paul uses this to go on to say, even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Elijah had no idea that while Israel was in wholesale rebellion, there were still 7,000 Israelites that had not bowed to Baal. And he says, even now, in the first century, to this present time in the first century, there's still a remnant that is faithful, that is loyal to God. And now we as Gentiles, we might believe it's only us. And God says, no, I've reserved a remnant. There will always be a faithful remnant. And we know when the church fathers came into the church, Origen, Athanasius, Tertullian, John Chrysostom, and then even go to Martin Luther, they hated the Jews. They despised the Jews. They did everything they could to root any Hebraic evidence out of Christianity. And we have inherited 
this form of Christianity. We've done our best to search the scriptures and go back to the truth, but we are influenced by this thinking. And, and Paul says, God forbid that he would break his promise, that he would break his covenant. He goes on in verse 6. And if by grace, then... So, so there's a remnant preserved by grace, but if it's by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So this, this remnant, this preservation of the remnant is purely by God's kindness. Nothing to do with them, but everything to do with God's faithfulness. He says, what then? Verse 7. Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So the election is the physical descendants of Abraham. That there are Jews, Paul being one of them, the original disciples being amongst them. Jesus was a Jew. His initial converts were Jews. So there is a remnant that has obtained the righteousness that Israel seeks for. But the majority have been blinded. Now he quotes a a prophecy that we should be very, very, very familiar with. We should probably memorize it. It's so critical. Christ quoted it to explain what he was doing, why he would only speak in parables to the Jews, but, but speak plainly to his disciples. And now Paul, in explaining this separation between the faithful remnant and the wicked, he quotes it again, Isaiah 6. He says in verse 8, according, as it is written in Isaiah, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear. This is a curse from God. No matter how hard they try, what we have access to is inaccessible to them. They cannot have access to it. But we weren't searching for it, and here it is. And yet they have been diligently seeking to establish themselves as the people of God, with the righteousness of God, and it's unavailable to them. Because God has given them this spirit of slumber, blind eyes, and deaf ears. We should also understand, when we look at Matthew 24, and he says that uh, when we see Jerusalem surrounded, and we see the abomination that makes desolate, and then Christ says, whoever reads better understand. So when we read about the abomination of desolation in Daniel, we need to understand it. And so we saw that it's for 70 times 7. And In that 70 times 7, it's a process of purification of Israel. That at the end of the 77s, all sin will be removed from Jacob. And so, and and, uh, Isaiah says that this condition of blindness will continue until Jerusalem is desolate. So Isaiah 6 and Daniel 9 come together to say that this blindness over God's people is a purification process. They're being driven to wholehearted and deep-seated repentance. It's going to be so painful, but the fruit coming out of it will be so wonderful that God's people, according to Deuteronomy 30, 
will be finally cleansed. He goes on now. So he gave us the example of Elijah and how Elijah cursed Israel. And now he goes on to David, verse 9. And David says, again he curses them, let their table be made a snare. You know, let their table be made a snare. It's to say that as the king, somebody tried to poison him at his table. And now he's saying, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened. Again, he, he invokes this curse. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their backs always. Wow. Bringing us to the attention of the curse of Elijah, the curse of Isaiah, the curse of David, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And this uh, first word, uh, stumbled, really means to, to fail. Have they failed that they could, should be completely discarded? That is the question. What's the answer? God forbid. This is an evil thought. That these wicked, wicked Jews, these evil Zionists, these people who are of God, who reject God, have they failed that they should be completely dismissed and destroyed? Perish the thought. That would make God a liar. That would make God a covenant breaker. That would make God a promise breaker. God forbid. But God is doing something, but rather, through their stumble, because they've stumbled, because they're cursed, a door has opened. Through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. This is God's profound thinking that he's going to drive his people to a heartfelt uh, repentance In, in the process of blinding them and driving them to this repentance. He's going to open the door to the Gentiles. In other words, if they had repented and cooperated, we would never be a part of this. He would do it all through that tribe. But through their rebellion and stubbornness, he's opened a door for us to be grafted in. This is God's profound way of working. And then Paul doesn't just stop there to say, look, this is how salvation has come to us. He explains why it has come to us. Why is he doing this? The Greek is for the purpose to provoke them to jealousy. So, as God is working with his people, blinding them so that he can drive them to repentance, he opens the door to bring us in. Why are we here? To provoke them to jealousy. So God has never taken his eyes off his people. We think that because we're here, God is done with them. It's now it's all, it's all about us. When the funny thing is, the reason we're here is because it's all about them. So we're here to provoke the Jews to jealousy. And I have shared this with uh, the brethren on trumpets that uh, my Hebrew teacher who's in Israel, 
when he was saying that the class would not be uh, open on trumpets, uh, I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't be available anyway because I observe trumpets. And he was shocked. And well, what about atonement? Yes, I'll be fasting on atonement on Yom Kippur. And he says, well, do you eat bacon? I said, no, I don't eat pork. I don't. He says, what's the point of being a Gentile if you can't eat bacon? He's a very funny guy, but he said it in a way where he was truly annoyed. It was just too close, like, who do you think you are? This is ours. But when they see us with it, it provokes them. But Paul wants us to provoke them to jealousy. So if we come up with a plan of salvation that doesn't include them, that includes Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and Christmas trees, How is that going to provoke them to jealousy? But when they see us take hold of Yahweh and grasp Yahweh's word in a way that's far beyond their comprehension, that we teach them what the word says, this provokes them to jealousy. And this is why we're here. Verse 12. Now, if the fall that is their trespass, their failure, if the fall of them be the riches of the world... So the Gentile world can now come into the church. If this access to this truth and this God of Israel comes because of their, their, their failure and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, and this is sort of this rabbinical reasoning where you go from the lesser to the greater, well, if their failure is such a blessing, how much more their fullness? Imagine what their fullness will bring. We get a glimpse of the fullness of the Jews when, they're, when they fully repent, what kind of a blessing will it bring to the world? Hold your place here, and let's get a glimpse of this. First in Zechariah 14. Very familiar passage. Well, let's just go a little bit further than we usually do. Zechariah 14 and verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, that is the Gentiles, which came against Jerusalem, that is the Jews, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So the Jews are now leading the Gentiles into a fuller understanding of God. Verse 20. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. So there's this exalted level of holiness in Jerusalem. As much as Jerusalem is evil today, and as much as Jerusalem will be thoroughly slaughtered, it's going to be established and exalted And there will be a tremendous high standard of holiness where everything in Jerusalem will be for the worship of God and the Gentiles will come to understand Yahweh. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah, every pot in Judah shall be holiness. You can't go anywhere in Judah without understanding the holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. So they will come and participate in the sacrifices with Judah leading. And in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite, the Canaanite 
in the house of the Lord of hosts. So obviously these Palestinians, these Canaanites, they're going to take over, but God is going to thrust them out, and only the Jews will have control of Jerusalem. So keep your place in Romans 11. We'll go back there, but let's also get a glimpse of this fullness uh, from the Jews in Revelation 21. So we've seen it in, in, uh, in Zechariah 14, that is uh, during the millennium. Let's see now after the millennium. Revelation 21, and let's go to verse 12. This new Jerusalem had a wall great and high, and it had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So when this new Jerusalem comes down, it will be all about Israel, and there'll be no way into the city unless you come through one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 21, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. This is, this is beautiful. This is glory beyond anything we've ever seen. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun. It doesn't say the earth has no need of the sun. Just the city Jerusalem has no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So there's no darkness in Jerusalem. And people are going to be coming from all over the world to this new Jerusalem. And listen to verse 24. And the nations, that is the Gentile nations, of them which are saved, so the Gentiles have been saved, shall walk in the light of Jerusalem. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So Paul, let's go back to Romans 11. Paul poses the question, if their failure is such a blessing, imagine what their fullness will bring. This is where we need to be thinking. We, we are what God wants. We are for what God wants. We're not just here to say, oh, I'm going to be a king. I'm going to be a a son of God. This is all about me. It's I've been recruited. You've been recruited to carry out God's purpose. And we have great joy in Jerusalem being established. We have great joy in Judah being restored. David says, let my right hand forget her skill. And let my tongue cleave unto my mouth if I forget Jerusalem. Have any of we forgotten Jerusalem? Or is Jerusalem our chief joy? Or do we have some other chief joy, which is idolatry? Do we have something else that we hold up higher than God's chief joy? Romans 11. Verse 13. Paul says, look, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I am the one that God handpicked carefully because of my training, my thinking, my, my background, my, my, my lineage as a, of the tribe of ben, Benjamin. I was selected specifically to be the apostle to the Gentiles, nobody else. So I am the apostle of the Gentiles, and I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and I'm magnifying my office. 
I'm not diminishing it in any way. I am the apostle of the Gentiles. If by any means, I'm going to magnify my office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul is saying, basically, I'm using you Gentiles to provoke my people. You're here for them. That's the purpose. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So you Gentiles, think about this. What happens when these people are restored and God can carry out all his plans without encumbrances? This is where we ought to think. So he's driving the Gentiles to provoke his people so that beyond reconciling the world, there will be life from the dead, eternal life for, for all. He says, for if the first fruit be holy, that is Israel, the lump is also holy. So I should say the first fruit is Christ, the lump is Israel. If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Christ is the root, the branches are Israel. And if some of the branches be broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So what we should see here very clearly is Judah is alive. What sense would it make to take a wild olive tree and graft it into a dead tree. The reason we graft in is so that it can it can suck the sap from the living tree. So Judah is a living tree. And we've been grafted in to suck the sap from Judah. Boast not against the branches. So the branches, some of these branches have been broken off. We've been grafted in. And because of the church fathers the Greek philosophers who despised the Jews, we now find ourselves boasting against the branches. We think we're better than them. We have to repent of this and realize we're grafted into their tree. So yes, they're broken off, but let's not boast against them. But if you boast, think about this. You do not bear the root, but the root bears you. And this is what you know, if we could be in the, in the fourth century and confront these Greek philosophers, this is the verse we would confront them with. That they are boasting against the root. And they don't bear the root, the root bears them. So the life comes from the root. Ah, but you will say then, but look, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So, you know, they're dead. They're broken off. And I'm here. And that's why I'm here, because they were broken off. Paul says, okay, sure. No problem. I agree. But because of unbelief, they were broken off. That's why they were broken off. Because they didn't believe God's word. And you, we, Gentiles, stand by faith. That's why we're here. Because we believe God's word. But then he says, be not high-minded, be terrified. 
Again, this flies in the face of once saved, always saved. He's saying to them, be not high-minded, but fear, be terrified. For if God spared not the natural branches, you beware, lest he also spare not you. So in other words, if we come to believe that as Gentiles, this is all about us, and God is done with Judah, then we are not believing God's word. But Judah was broken off because they didn't believe God's word. And now here we are, not believing God's word, thinking we're safe. So we have to be careful that we, we, we believe God at his word, and we would never call him a covenant breaker. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not you. Behold, therefore, consider, therefore, look at, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Think about Matthew 24. Think about Matthew 24. Think about the slaughter that is going to take place in Jerusalem. Think about how this is unprecedented. There will never be a time like this, nor will there ever be a time like it again. That's the severity of God. Think of us, who had no idea about Yahweh, and we found him. That's the goodness of God. So he says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell, that's the Jews, severity. They will be blinded, they will be deaf, they'll be slaughtered. On them which fell, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also shall be cut off. So we need to be very, very careful about our disposition toward the natural branches, regardless of their wickedness. And they also, that's the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So even though they're sitting there in disbelief, they can be grafted in. It's their tree. How much easier is it to take the natural olive branch and graft it into a natural olive tree than to take the wild olive branch and graft that in? Let's go to Isaiah 6 and look at, hold your place in Romans 11, we'll come back to it. And I'm just wondering, Brother Ray, as we go through this, do we have a a floating mic that we could take some questions? Great. Isaiah 6 and verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? So how long is this condition of Israel's blindness, of Judah's blindness? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. The abomination that makes desolate has thoroughly done its work. And the Lord has removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. That's how long this blindness will occur. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30 to see this gathering, this this being grafted in again. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 1. 
again, a, a scripture we should be very, very familiar with. And it shall come to pass when all these things, that is the blessings and the cursings of Deuteronomy 28 and 29, which I have set before you, and you, so it shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And you shall return unto the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses is looking far into the future and he's seeing his people repenting from their rebellion. And it's a, it's a true wholesale spiritual repentance. And they're loving God now, not carnally, but spiritually, Holy Spirit, with all their heart and all their soul. That then, the Lord your God, and Joel says he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people. Jeremiah says he'll have a new covenant with them and, and, and write his law in their heart. That then, the Lord your God will, ter- will end your slavery and have compassion upon you. And we'll return and gather you from all the nations. This is them being grafted in again. He's going to go and he's going to find them and gather them and bring them back where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of yours be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you and from there will he fetch you. And the Lord will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. He is able to graft them in again. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, so there's going to be baptism, repentance, receiving the Holy Spirit. Their hearts will be circumcised, and the heart of your seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So what I'd like you to do is just take a couple of minutes in small groups. What have you heard so far? Why are we grafted in? And then do you have any questions? And so we'll take some questions as well. So just take a couple of minutes and talk amongst yourselves what you've heard, what you understand so far, and if if there's anything missing that you don't understand that you'd like to ask about. Okay, any, any questions or comments so far? Yes, Sister Rose here. Thanks for the message. I think I'm a bit confused because um, there were 12 tribes of Israel and we were told that 10 of the tribes were lost, yes. gone. Yes. Which two tribes are left? In my opinion, it's Judah and Israel. That the two that are left. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, so the the northern tribes were scattered by the Assyrians, mm-hmm. the ten northern tribes. The tribes in the south, which is primarily Judah 
and Benjamin and Levi. Those are the tribes in the south that were preserved. So Judah, who we call Jews today, is a combination of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, the Levites. Okay, so that is why I'm confused because I said if ten tribes are gone and there are twelve tribes, then there should be two. There should be two left. (laughs) Yeah, so it's Judah and Benjamin, but the Levites served among them, so they're in the mix. The northern tribes are really referred to now as Ephraim. So Ephraim and Manasseh, but Ephraim is the head through Joseph, and Ephraim sort of comprises all of the remaining tribes. And and there are prophecies that God is going to gather Ephraim. Ephraim is a a, a loving child uh, to God, and he hasn't forgotten Ephraim. But in today's world where we talk a lot about Jews, yes, the next one which you're saying is Benjamin or Ephraim. Sorry, say that again, Sister Rose. The the tribe, the the two that's that, that uh, are left. Ju- well, it's Judah and Benjamin, mm-hmm. but the Levites were also amongst them, mm-hmm. serving. So those three tribes are the preserved tribes. We call them Jews today. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so the other nine to make twelve, but we say lost ten because Joseph was split in two. Okay. Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. So we have, uh, okay, so uh, Michael and then Pastor Mark. Okay, so my question would be, if the promise to Abraham was unconditional, yes, then why do we see Israel go into captivity several times under the condition that they did not follow his word? Yeah, excellent so, question. So would the blessing be conditional to them following his word? Because we see that happening. So if it was unconditional, why we see them going under captivity, under conditions. Okay, so this is a beautiful, brilliant question. Um, and the answer is, we're talking about two different covenants. So the covenant with Abraham is the covenant where Abraham had to slaughter the animals and split them in two and create an isle. And that's how covenants were made in those days. So it's called, it's called to cut a covenant. So God cut a covenant with Abraham. And normally both parties would walk down that aisle. And at the end of the walk, basically they're saying, if either one of us break the covenant, may we be slaughtered like these animals. But just as they should begin that process, uh, God put Abraham into a deep sleep. So even if he wanted to walk down that aisle, he couldn't. And God alone walked down the aisle, basically saying, all of this is on me. Abraham, you, you don't need to do anything. I will do this through your seed. So that's the covenant with Abraham that you mentioned that's unconditional. Well, in fact, it's conditional. All the conditions are on God. He will He will bring it about. No conditions on Abraham. The first way he attempted to deliver his promise to Abraham was through the Mosaic covenant. That covenant was conditional. And so we read in Deuteronomy, if you do this, Deuteronomy 28 to 14, these are the blessings you'll receive. But if you break my law, Deuteronomy 15 to 68, and all of Deuteronomy 29, these are all the curses that will come upon you. So Moses said, you'll get the blessing. So we see David and Solomon, the zenith of Israel. That's all the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14. And then they, they departed from God. So then all the curses come upon them. So that's the Mosaic. So through the Mosaic covenant now, God is not able to bring about his promise to Abraham. So he says through Jeremiah, 
I'm going to renew my covenant with you. It's not a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. But this time, instead of writing my law on tablets of stone, I'm going to write my law in your heart. Israel and Judah, same people. I'm going to renew my covenant with you, and you're going to love me with all your heart and all your soul. And that's what, that's what Moses saw in Deuteronomy 30 when he looked at the end time. He saw they are going to come back. So God will fulfill his unconditional promise to Abraham through the renewed covenant, not through the Mosaic covenant. Okay. Uh, Pastor, oh, go ahead, Billy. And uh, so I, I did say, I did say Pastor Murray, but are you okay if I take Billy first? Go ahead. Um, um, what I want to say that, um, you said that, um, Israel, um, they've been blinded so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. I didn't say that. Paul that said the, that. That the Gentiles could be Yes. That the Gentiles could be grafted in. It's Correct. in the word that it says that. Yes. And um, um, you, I know that Israel has been dispersed throughout all nations. Yes. So there, we cannot look on uh, Jerusalem only to see only those people down there are Israelites. Yes. Because the Bible talk about that the Jews them don't even they know who they are. Yes. And um, I want to mention that the prophet Jeremiah, when God gave him the vision, he said to Jeremiah, son of man, all these dry bones are the whole house of Israel. Yes. So God said that this is the whole house of Israel. Yes. And we know that there are Israelites today. So how would you explain that to the prophet of Jeremiah, what he saw with the dry bones? Yes. And he said that I will cause bread to enter back into these bones and these bones shall live. Yes. To the, so, which means to me that, um, that those people are the, probably the ancient Israel, Israelites are, it could be something that is coming in the future when this will be the whole house of Israel. So explain that one okay, to me. Okay, so very good. So a couple of things there. Uh, number one, yes, they've been scattered all over, and uh, they will be gathered again. Both Jewish, Both the Jews and Israel are scattered. But Israel is divorced at this time. God is only working with Judah. And so when we say Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, and it will also include the Jews that have been scattered as well, that's who God is working with under covenant. But he does say through Ezekiel, now we're talking about the second resurrection, that he's going to gather all Israel. And in fact, we're going to cover it here, that all Israel will be saved. So God has not forgotten Israel. But the covenant right now lives with Judah. And God is going to take the house of Israel and join them to the house of Judah. And they shall become one stick, according to Ezekiel. So, so Isaiah, Ezekiel does say, and the prophecies show, and in fact I'm going to cover a couple of them uh, in a minute, that uh, Israel and Judah will come back together. But for now Israel is on hold. Judah is under curse, but still in covenant. And God is working with Judah. Eventually, he's going to now bring Israel back, and all the lost tribes are going to be brought, and Israel and Judah will be one. And I think we'll cover it again a little bit this evening as well. Uh, last question, Pastor Murray, and then I'll, I'll go on. Sure. Just to, I'll make it quick because I think you already answered my question, but I'll, I'll ask it anyways. Uh, earlier this year, I listened to a couple of messages from uh, Pastor Vance Stinson out of the Tyler Home Office who talked about uh, the misnomer of the New Covenant and that it's really a renewed covenant. Uh, that God makes, uh, continues to renew, or he renews. 
that it's not a brand new covenant. Right. That, so I, you've, you've answered that, but I think uh, you Correct. would agree with him on that. And just to be clear, there are, there are no terms and conditions with the renewed covenant. Right. Because they're all the same terms and conditions of the original covenant. It's just been renewed through the Holy Spirit. And he pointed that out there as well. So Great. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so we'll have more time for some Q&A this evening. But to Sister Valine's point, uh, if you go back to Romans 11 about these uh, people not just being in Jerusalem but having been scattered around the world, Romans 11, verse 24, he says, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and you were grafted in, contrary to nature, into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? From here we go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 31, And he, that is Jesus Christ, shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, if we're like most Gentiles, we read that and it's all about us. If we are grounded in Torah, We read this, and it's all about God's faithfulness to his people, that this is exactly what he promised to Moses, and we just read it. You don't have to turn there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, we just read it. If any of yours be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you, and from there will he fetch you. Let's now go to Isaiah 11 and see what Isaiah says about this, because this will answer Sister Valine's question. So when he returns... He's going to gather his elect, those in the covenant relationship with him, from all four corners of the earth. Here in Isaiah 11, what does the prophet Isaiah say? Verse 12, And he shall set up an ensign, a standard, for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. Remember, they're being grafted into the root. The root is is Christ, but it's Israel which is all the tribes, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So it's not just Jerusalem. Jerusalem is is the holy city. It will suffer anguish and pain and be purified, but all the cities of Judah and all the Jews are part of this curse and blessing. So he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, and verse 9, Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, this is now spiritual Judah. We've been grafted in. This is speaking to us and of us. O Zion that brings the gospel, good tidings, get you up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that brings the gospel, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. So, so the Gentiles that have been grafted in are saying to Judah, Behold Yahweh, your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather, he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom 
and shall gently lead those that are with young. Chapter 43 of Isaiah, verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for you, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honorable, and I have loved you. Therefore, while I give men for you and people for your life, fear not, I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Four corners of the earth. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, everyone, Judah and Israel, For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Chapter 49 of Isaiah. Verse 16. Behold, I have graven you, Israel, upon the palms of my hands. Your walls, Jerusalem, are continually before me. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall flee you. Look at Jeremiah now, Jeremiah 23. All the prophets agree. All the prophets agree with Moses. Nobody contradicts Moses. Even Christ, when he came, he says, I don't contradict Moses. I fulfill Moses. Jeremiah 23 and verse 3. And I will gather, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them. And will bring them again to their folds. That's what Moses says. When you finally repent, he will have mercy on you. And he'll end your slavery. And he'll gather you and bring you back to the land that your fathers possessed. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And will bring them again to their folds. And they shall be fruitful and increase. Moses says they'll be more fruitful than their fathers. Verse 19 of Jeremiah 29, 29:14. Sorry, 29:14. Jeremiah 29:14. And I will be found of you. So the Gentiles found Yahweh, but Israel couldn't find him. Now Jeremiah says that they will find him. And I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will end your slavery, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Chapter 31 of Jeremiah, verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travails with child together. Remember, um, Christ says, woe unto the woman with child and those that give suck. Now God is saying, I'm going to rescue them. The woman with child and her that travails with child together, a great company shall return there. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Is there any argument to be made that Matthew 24, when Christ returns and gathers the elect from the four corners of the earth, is there any argument that can be made scripturally that this is speaking of Gentiles? Or is it abundantly clear 
that Christ is fulfilling the prophets, that he's fulfilling the Torah, and he's gathering his elect. Look at Jeremiah 32. 32. And verse 37. Jeremiah 32 and verse 37. Behold, I will gather, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place when, when Jerusalem is finally cleansed. And I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, forever, for the good of them and of their children after them, exactly what Moses prophesied. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Nobody contradicts Moses. He comes and he repeats Moses. Verse 41, yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. I would say God is very excited about this. I hope through the Holy Spirit we can be excited about this as well. And we're not just excited about our own things. That we're excited about the things of God. And that this is going to be a tremendous blessing for the whole world when God pulls this off. Let's go back to... Romans 11 and verse 25. This is not my will, brethren. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. This is a terrible condition. The apostle to the Gentiles is saying this is a terrible situation if my Gentile followers don't understand this. So this, I, I can't have you ignorant of this. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Because if you're ignorant of the mystery, you could be wise in your own sight, lest you be wise in your own conceits. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. In part. They're not completely blind. There is a remnant, like Elijah, 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So we Gentiles must understand the mystery. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So there is a number. I don't know what the number is. But this door that has been opened for Gentiles to come in, there's a number that God is looking for. And when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, he closes the door. And then he releases Israel from her blindness. Now... When he does that and he releases Israel from her blindness, uh, turn with me to Matthew 19. And we need to be careful about being wise in our own conceit. So while Israel is blind, we are wise in our own sight. We think we're wonderful. We think we're better than them. And God warns us, don't do that. Paul warns us, that this is a mystery that we must not be ignorant of. What are the consequences of us being wise in our own sight? It begins here in Matthew 19 and verse 30. He says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
So blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Once the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, God will close the doors to the Gentiles, release Israel from her blindness, and Israel will come in. And Christ says, the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven, chapter 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and says unto them, Why are you standing here all day idle? They said unto him, Because no man has hired us. He says unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So there's this this constant recruiting into the labor. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard says unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire. And notice what he says. It's a specific way you're to give them their hire. Begin with the last and end with the first. I want those that were called in first to witness the reward that everyone else gets. So he begins with the last and and goes down to the first. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, who were wise in their own conceits and thought it was all about them, when they came, which were hired about the 11th hour, uh, sorry, so the 11th hour, they received every man a power, a, a penny. But when the first came, which are wise in their own conceits, wise in their own sight, who think it's all about them, when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, these last have wrought but one hour, and you have made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for a penny? Take what is yours and go your way. I will give unto this last, even as unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do what is what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I am good? And he's good because he's fulfilling his covenant. So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called but few chosen. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. So this can happen to us, brethren, if we're wise in our own conceit, if we think it's about us. And then when God focuses on Judah last and Israel last and blesses them, we're upset. Instead of rejoicing that this is the very reason why we were grafted in. So we have to be careful. Let's go back to Romans 11 and we'll just finish up. Romans 11, Uh, we'll just go back to verse 25. I do not want, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So, So the laborers were ignorant of the mystery. And when those that were last were rewarded, because they were ignorant of the mystery, they became resentful. Had they known the mystery, they would have rejoiced. 
For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own sight. That blindness, in part, has happened unto Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And then, all Israel, back to Sister Valine, this is Israel and Judah, all Israel shall be saved. In fact, you know, uh, Paul does say, well, we'll go, we'll go to it in a second. Uh, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's the plan, that ungodliness will be turned away from Jacob. So all Israel means the south and the north. It doesn't mean every single Israelite. And let's see that quickly in Romans 9. Romans 9. Where here the rabbi, Paul, reasons this way. Verse 4, Romans 9, verse 4. That they are all Israelites to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came who is overall God blessed forever. So this is all Israel. This has nothing to do with Gentiles. Amen. Then he says this in verse 6. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So all Israel doesn't mean every single Israelite. It means those that repent, those that are faithful. Many Israelites will end up in the lake of fire. So they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. So Abraham had Ishmael, but Ishmael is not the seed. So just because you are a descendant of Abraham doesn't make you the seed. So in the same way, he's using this logic to say, not all Israel is Israel. That is, they which are the children of the flesh... These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So he's just making this reasoning that not all Israel is Israel. So just because you're of the seed doesn't make you of the covenant. That it's spiritual Israel. So let's go back to Romans 11 where we will wrap up. Again, we'll just pick it up from verse 25 again. For I do not want, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own sight. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And in this way, all Israel, Israel and Judah, shall be saved, as it is written. And by the way, through the Gentile door, many Israelites have come into the covenant. Uh, uh, Pastor Mike James actually said, when you look at the nations that have been preaching the gospel, that have been spreading the, the, uh, the word of God, it's the Israelite nations. And so all Israel shall be saved as, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. This, so they may be unfaithful, but God is faithful. As concerning the gospel... They are enemies for your sakes. And in the first century, they slaughtered the Christians, and there's every indication that's going to repeat. 
So they are enemies for our sakes. But as touching the election, now if we're talking about the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because of the covenant, the word that God gave to the fathers, he loves Israel. And it doesn't matter how wicked they are, his work and our work is to remove wickedness from Jacob. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In other words, they're irrevocable. It's a covenant that there's no way of breaking it. Israel might break it, but God won't break it. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Paul is profound. This is incredible. Let me just read the poetry of this again. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may live. This is the purpose. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him? So God is above us. His thinking is above us. And we have to acknowledge this. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. There is tremendous wisdom in this word. It's hidden to us right now. It's sort of on this time release. But the more faithful we are to the text, the more he'll give us. So we must not be wise in our own conceits. We have to work hard to understand the text, and to him who has, more will be given. So, brethren, this evening I want to cover a very difficult uh, topic, but understanding Romans 11, understanding Matthew 18, understanding the sacrifice that Brother Bernard spoke of in his uh, sermonette, it's going to make it much, much easier, and we'll make sure that we have some time for Q&A in the Bible study. Also, the Bereans search the scriptures to see if these things were so. And Paul, he didn't just preach and then run away. He would be there for months, for weeks. So the brethren could go and search the scriptures and then come back the following week and say, well, what about this? How would you explain that? And so this is our job, not just to passively listen and accept whatever we hear. Our job as pastors is to search the scriptures, to learn, to teach you. But then your job is also to search the scriptures and to question and query, and not just accept what you hear. So, brethren, this evening, uh, come with questions, and also on the last great day, we're going to preserve a lot of time for you, what you've learned this week, any other questions you have, to have a, a lot of opportunity to ask questions.